Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. As always, you're back with your hosts Liam and Bill. How are you, Bill? I see you're noticeably a bit sadder this week. The AFLX, your favourite time of year, is over and we've got to get into the real footy now. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't manage to catch a single minute <laughs> of the AFLX, but I'm sure it was great. Um, it'll be sorely missed and... Uh, We've got some JLT games going on, which I'm a bit more excited about. Yeah, well, we get to see a little bit of insight for our Supercoach teams. I think JLT is where we're really going to get to figure out which of these players that we're thinking of putting in our teams, especially the rookies are going to be good ones to pick. So we've seen, well, we've only seen two games so far, so not a huge sample size, but last week we spoke about defenders. We talked a lot about the kick-ins and how that might impact things. How have you seen that one so far? Yeah, well, it's hard with the uh, preseason because not all the players are playing and you don't really know if who is taking the kick-outs now will take it. But what I've seen is there's been a real big spread. So I've been watching some of the games and taking a few notes of who's taking the kick-outs. And I reckon, you know, you count five or six who are sort of spreading it evenly at this stage. Have you seen something similar? Yeah, it seems like they're just sort of going closest to the ball. They want to take advantage of that quick play on and get the ball into play as soon as they can, which, I mean, really... If that continues, maybe we'll sort of see the opposite of what we thought. These players who are playing on from the kick-ins and getting possessions from that. Now, if anyone's just taking it, maybe we'll see defenders' scores drop even. Yeah, maybe. I think what we'll see when the real season comes is you'll have, you know, your three or four defenders who are told you guys are taking the kick-outs. So whichever one of you is closest, you'll take it. So instead of seeing maybe, you know, your Lloyds jumping 15 points, you might see... Lloyd jumping five points, but also seeing a couple of other defenders in that team who are also taking kickouts, getting a bit of a bump as well. So it might be a bit more spread spread around than we thought. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. As we said, we're only two games into the JLT, so hopefully we'll have some more data on that soon. So this week we'll talk a bit on the midfielders. Um, what rules do you think that are coming in might have a bit of an influence on how they're scoring? Yeah, I think the most obvious one is that Devils Rule 666, that sort of Opens up the game, obviously, for your one-on-ones at either end of the ground, but six mids in the middle gives them a bit more space. Um, we mentioned last week Fagan sort of talking about what he thinks is going to happen in the terms of um, important to win that first contested possession, but then also equally important to be able to get that run and spread once you do win that possession. So I guess maybe it favors people who can do both a bit, but yeah, we really got to see. Yeah, we'll see if it sort of, as we talked about a bit last week, if that sort of sees the end of these combo midfielders, you need to either be elite in getting the ball or elite running and everyone else sort of will be forced out of those teams. But I think it'll also be interesting watching how they set up the wings in this new format because if you're starting with 666, you might want to have some taller, more defensive wings who will run back into defense to be that loose man because you can't start them there. So looking at that St. Kilda team, we're talking about Dylan Roberton, who's very super coach relevant and whether someone like that might be pushed more onto the wing because then they can run back into defense but also play that wing role pretty well i guess the other part of this is obviously we're going to do a a bit of a separate talk on on rucks as a position themselves but they obviously work in tandem with the midfielders Um, potentially we're seeing maybe the more dominant rucks in in the hit outs at least so like your max gorns etc um potentially helping their their midfielders get first use maybe a bump of scores there for the melbourne mids but Something we're going to have to look at over the JLT games. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't think that uh, new ruck rule with the grabbing out of the ruck might have an influence, but maybe if your team's ruckman really likes to do that and is grabbing it, quick kicking it, it's a few less tap downs to some of the midfielders. Something we'll probably keep an eye on in JLT. So talking about midfielders from a super coach perspective, obviously one of the most important things every year is structure, where you put your primos in your team, whether you stack up your midfield, whether you go light. Um, and that obviously depends on whether you like the mid prices, whether you like the rookies, or, or whether there's some players, maybe fallen primos, that you like the price of. What have you got at this stage, Liam? 
Yeah, just splitting this midfield at the moment up into a few different categories. We've got our premiums, who we expect to be, you know, your top six, eight mids at the end of the year. You've got your fallen premiums, who have the potential to be there but are a bit cheaper. You've got your general mid prices, who are there to make money for you, and then obviously your rookies. So at the moment, I've got three dead set premiums in the team, one fallen premium, two of the mid prices, and two of the rookies on field. So a pretty big spread there, sort of only having two rookies, I think, at this stage, without seeing the rookies, is, is quite a good option. Instead, I've, I've got a couple of the mid-prices in there that I'm pretty sure will score. What have you got set up at the moment? Yeah, so pretty similar to you there. Um, I've got four in the premiums. One is what you call the fallen premium. I've only got one of the mid-prices in there and two rookies on field. So pretty standard uh, until we see more of the rookies in the JLT. Can't really commit to those spots. Yeah, I think the structure will be very important once you know which line has rookies that you want on field. Um, sometimes it's not necessarily which premiums you want, but you'll have to set up your structures depending on if the midfield at the end of the JLT has you know four four midfielders that you think will score well enough to play on field. You might want to spread your cash elsewhere. But at this stage, I think a couple of the rookies in the midfield will score well enough, but I'm not too sure on enough of them to push it much deeper. So maybe we'll jump in talking about the rookies because I think they are the most important part in terms of determining how you do structure up. If you think the rookies are strong, you might go with more rookies on field. If you think they're pretty weak, maybe relegate some of them to the bench. Um, the obvious name there is Sam Walsh. He's come out first JLT game, backed up his good intra-club form. He cracked 100 in Supercoach and AFL Fantasy and looks really good. He's probably a lock in most people's teams at this stage. Yeah, I was sort of uh, hoping he came out and didn't look too well because I wasn't that interested in spending the 200 plus thousand dollars on one of my rookies in the midfield. Feel a bit burnt from last year, you know, with your Brayshaws who came out, looked good, your LDUs came out, and then when the season hit, they didn't score that well. But I think Walsh is a bit of a different story here. I was down in person in that JLT match on the Thursday night and he just found the ball so easily. They looked for him, giving him the pill to then deliver it inside 50. He was just all over the ground and yeah, really just looked like, aside from Cripps, one of their best players out there. One other rookie out of that Thursday night game was Michael Gibbons. I'm pretty sure he's sitting in almost everyone's uh, mid-11 spot there just because of the $102,000 price tag. Um, he did okay. He kicked, what, two or three goals there? Yeah, I think he ended up with three, kicked two really early ones, and everyone was like, wow, he's dominated the local comps, and now he's coming into AFL and doing the same. But I think what we saw from the day was that that forward line is where he'll be, so he might not be the biggest scorer like we thought he would be. Yeah, so he scored, I can't exactly remember, he scored about the 60 or 70 mark, but then with those three goals, you know, he's probably not going to kick, obviously, three goals every week at AFL level. So taking those out, you're sort of looking around a 40 or 50 average, which... I mean, at your M11, it's not terrible if with the price, he's still in my team, he hasn't lost his spot, but perhaps not the scorer we thought he might be. Yeah, I sort of had him locked in on field. I thought he would have been a really big accumulator like he was in the other leagues, but it seems that they're using him as more that pressure forward, sort of that forward link-up player. So at this stage, I wouldn't expect him to be a high scorer, probably you know a slow burner on your benches because I expect him to play a lot of games. But um, yeah, we might have to try and find another little gem there to play on your field. So speaking of gems playing on the field, Charlie Constable came out last night and secured his position on my field at the moment. He's scored, I think it was a 97 last night. He looked really good, racked up over 20 touches and yeah, just showed why there was calls for him to play all through last season. Yeah, if anybody's been following the pod all the way back from when we did a lot of draft analysis a couple of years ago, he was one in the draft that we saw fall a really large distance because of his running capacity. 
team sort of overlooked him. He always was a great football player, had a really good football IQ, big-bodied midfielder, and that's the sort of player who's usually really popular and would get sort of games early because of their big frame and ability to sort of adapt to that AFL level. But he slid a bit in the draft order, and um, it might be finally his chance to take a few games this year on debut and sort of run with it in that Geelong midfield. To round out the rookies, there's a few other options that I've seen in a lot of teams. Brett Bewley, who was, I believe, not named in the JLT this weekend. I think he's an emergency, so that's a bit of a surprise. Um, he's sitting on my bench. I've also got Nick Hind sitting there at um, D10. And then there's a few mid-forwards. I've currently got them both sitting in the forward line, but I've seen them in the midfield in quite a few teams. In Will Setterfield, who did well on the Thursday night, and Willem Drew from Port Adelaide as well. Yeah, I think Satterfield's going to be a lock in every team, either up forward or in the middle. I'd suggest that with, as you said, a few names there, having a mid-forward link, so one of your bench midfielders as a mid-forward so you can swing those players around would be handy. But yeah, I think Satterfield will be a big scorer this year, and there's been a lot of talk of Drew after his intra-club match and how well he performed. Did you see any of that or read any of the commentary? Yeah, I was actually, I've had him sitting in my team for a while. I've been scouring some of the big footy club boards to read the news on the rookies. And um, yeah, a lot of people talking up Drew on the port board. So he's actually been sitting in my team since before that. Um, I was a bit annoyed to see him do so well because, you know, I thought maybe word was out. He could have been a bit of a point of difference in the rookies, but it's hard to get one there. Most people are, you know, on top of the ball. Uh, people are taking it seriously, at least on top of the ball with, with, with which rookies are really going to make some cash. And I think he's one who has that potential. So, so far we see that there's a few rookies there in the midfield that you'll need to watch in JLT. There's some others which we're not entirely sure which position they'll play, like Bailey Smith at the Dogs, obviously a Jet midfielder, but the Dogs have a lot of these young midfielders coming through. So watching these players in JLT and seeing which line they sort of are playing in and figuring out how well you think they'll score and how many games they'll get is really important to setting up your whole structure of your team. You don't want to be waiting until teams drop to sort of have your structure trying to figure it out on that last night. So in terms of how the strength of the rookie cohort against other years, um, it's hard to say because we haven't seen the JLT, but at this stage, I think maybe it's slightly weaker. I remember going in other seasons with more than two rookies on the field for sure. Uh, At the moment, I haven't really seen any that are are catching my eye too much and so I've just got the two on field there um yeah I'm not sure we're going to see like a sort of Tim Kelly who comes out this year and averages you know 90 plus yeah it's interesting because we do have a lot of these sort of mature age recruits in this conversation still it's more those sort of younger first year players which this year we can't really see as many playing games we talked just before about you know your Hines and your Constables who have been on the list for a few years it's really these ones from the last draft class which seem like I can't really see that many of them stepping in and scoring well, aside from Sam Walsh. One step up from that, though, there are a few tasty options in the mid-prices. There's a few obvious ones. Liberatore sitting at 300000 We know that he can score at least 105 average across the season if he stays fit. Um, you've got Anthony Miles moving up to Gold Coast. We know that he can score quite well um, in addition. And then there's a few others. We saw Dom Sheed, who's priced at just under 400000 I think. He racked up plenty of the ball last night. Yeah, so we've got a couple of different styles of the mid-prices there. So you've got your sort of underpriced players that we've seen for a long time. So Libba from injury, Miles from not getting a lot of games at the Richmond Football Club and players like Dan Hanabry who are also in that price bracket, which now we hear is missing round one. So if he's in your team, I'd suggest taking him out for one of these other options. So the Miles and the Libba are sort of known quantities because we've seen them average before. So Libba obviously had a 106 and 110 average over a season in the past. It's just whether they can get back to that form. 
And then, as you mentioned, there's this other set of players, the breakout candidates from that middle price range. And over the last week, we crunched a few statistics and a few numbers on sort of these breakout players, looking at the current 100 averaging players from last year and trying to see which season they broke out in so we can get an idea of which of these players are really interesting ones to look at. And the data, we'll, we'll post that out on our Twitter page later, like we did with the stuff from our Defenders pod at Science of Footy on Twitter, if anyone's interested in looking at it. But pretty much what we saw is that these players broke out between season number two and season number six, except for Higgins, obviously, who hit that 100 at season 13 or something crazy as the outlier. But pretty much you're looking for your breakouts to hit that 100 mark in their second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth season. So you mentioned Dom Sheed, who's a really interesting one because he is currently entering his sixth season, never having averaged 100 before. He averaged 117 over the finals last year and just pumped out a 140. Is he someone that you think you can see reaching that 100 mark this year, or is that too big of a jump from his 70 average of last year? I'm not really sure on Dom Sheed. To be honest, he wasn't on my radar, maybe in a sort of a draft format, but in an actual super coach, regular classical super coach, he wasn't really on my radar until he pumped out that huge score last night. So he's not one that I've done a lot of research on this stage. Um, obviously, he's he's at the right sort of age profile. He's sitting at 23 years old. He's at the right games profile, sitting just under 100 games. So those are good signs. But unlike some of the other names that we're probably just about to talk about, he hasn't really shown in the past that he can average, you know, not necessarily 100 season, but, you know, your 85s or, or 90s that you generally tend to see from players before they break out to that level. Another interesting thing we saw crunching these numbers was that the average score a season before they reached 100 for these players was 85. So we're not talking about players normally having that high 90s and then jumping to the 100. Sometimes the jump's quite big from your, you know, 70s or 80s going up to that 100. So don't be afraid to take a flyer on someone you think can reach that 100 plus mark who's maybe not gone too big before because we're seeing these players are jumping from, as I said, an average of 85 before they have that breakout to 100 years. So that's quite an interesting thing I saw out of the data this week. So just to reel off a few names, I will start some of the ones who have averaged relatively high. Last season, we had Angus Brayshaw averaging 97. I think he's a pre-prime candidate for someone who could jump up. There is a bit of an issue there in in terms of how he fits with the rest of the midfielders. Obviously, you've got Clayton Oliver, who generally scores pretty well in that Melbourne midfield. Maxi Gorn, obviously, is the Ruckman, scores incredibly well every season. And then Jack Viney. So it's interesting how those three are going to work together, who will sort of be stealing points off who and who puts up those big scores. But he's definitely one to look out for, I think. Yeah, a very good one. And another one I like from that sort of 90s category with a 94 average last year is Jack Steele entering his fifth season. So again, he's in that bracket of should break out into that 100 this year or next year if he's going to. And here's someone who over the last seven games at the end of last year had a 117. So he stormed home entering his fifth year. He seems to be another one that ticks a lot of these boxes for a potential breakout. Dropping down in age and average, we've got Tim Taranto from the GWS Giants. Um, there's a lot of people who are very keen on him. I've seen him in quite a few teams as a point of difference. Um, he's at a, a bit of an awkward price there, sitting at, or I think he's just under $500,000. So he's sort of not your mid-pricer, sort of in that fall and primo range where you may be better off taking someone who's shown they've done it before. But there is the potential that he sort of comes out and posts a pretty big average this season as one of those main midfielders. Yeah, I think if he still had forward status, he'd be in most teams. I reckon he's yeah going to be getting a lot of those extra points in the midfield, running through there a lot more. And yeah, I could see him averaging up towards the 100, definitely. Probably someone to keep an eye on in your draft leagues. 
being in the midfield only, having that sort of lower average compared to a lot of these other midfielders. He's someone who might go a little late, who maybe you might get a bit of value on if you are hoping for somebody in your last few midfield spots who can still average that 100. He'd be an interesting player to take a risk on rather than looking at your known quantities who get your 80s or 90s every season and you know they've always pumped that out and instead you might be able to get a player here who can get those extra points from that shield departure and yeah really bump up this year. And to get a bit more speculative here I'm going to give you three names here Liam we'll see what what you think of them and who you think might be the best candidate. These are players who average around that 80 mark, so a bit below what we said before the breakout season, but players with pretty good pedigree. I'm going to give you three names. We've got Braden Fiorini from the Suns. He's shown he can post some big scores. Braden Sear from the Pies. I know he's quite internally very highly rated and potentially uh, there's a spot there with Taylor Adams having that injury recently. And then Jared Berry from the Lions. I know he was came back very fit, geared up very for a, a huge season, but unfortunately recent bout of glandular. may have set him back a little bit. Yeah, so I think they've each got their sort of different downsides. Obviously, Barry, there's talk of the Galangela, might have held him back a bit in his preseason. You got Sia, who's got a star-studded midfield with beams coming into that as well, potentially stopping that development in points. And then you got Fiorini, who's always been in and out of that Gold Coast team. I think if I had to pick one, I sort of like Fiorini. He's always been a favorite of mine. He's got the options in that midfield to score well. Someone in Gold Coast is going to get a bit of a bump and a lot more points, and I could easily see it being someone like him jumping up and taking the next step rather than these Miles and other players who we assume will score well. He's definitely highly rated there. I think he's in the leadership group now or definitely one of the highly rated youngsters there. So, yeah, I don't mind Fiorini, but all three are very interesting options, especially, as we said, for draft. If you want to take a flyer on a later pick in the midfield, these are some names you should keep in mind we'll change tack and talk a bit about the premiums or potential super premiums in these lines uh these are sort of the ones that you're putting in to set and forget you pick them in your side you're generally not looking to trade out these players you're thinking that they're going to be there the entire season unless they obviously go down injured uh fingers crossed so there's a few names that i've seen in most teams just looking at both of our teams i noticed that patty cripps has pretty much been in there since day one in both our sides yeah, on our Twitter, we put out a little poll saying which player do we think's a lock in the midfield to the community out there, looking at Cripps, McRae, Fife, and Kelly. And Cripps is the one that got the nod from most people sitting there with 45% of the votes out on Twitter. So it seems like not only us, but the whole sort of super coach community out there on Twitter also thinks that Cripps is a lock. He played really well in that. Uh, JLT match the other day when he wasn't even trying he was noticeably not trying and still was the highest scorer on the ground he's uh, just an elite player and a superstar what do you make of the other names so the order was Cripps, McRae, Fife, and then Kelly in the order of those four on the Twitter poll do you sort of agree with that for how safe they are as picks yeah I think so um McRae has been in and out of my side he's obviously quite expensive probably at this stage he's sitting out of my side at the moment I think he's going to be one that I look to upgrade to but I think you can be pretty self-assured that he's going to be in the top eight mids unless he goes down this season Uh, the other two names Fife and Kelly are currently sitting in my side although again they've been in and out um, as I sort of you know jostle around the positions and try and make a little bit of cash here and there but currently they're both in my side they're very similar price and I think they're both prime for pretty big seasons um Kelly obviously he's a good age he's still quite young and we've seen that he's just a freak footballer and then we know what Nat Fife can do we know he can average 125 plus across the season if you were selecting and you could only pick one of Fife and Kelly which one would get your nod yeah so I have had that sort of problem at times when I'm selecting my side um I've only had a spot for one of them and I've been going back and forth I think Fife maybe has 
greater upside in the sense that we've seen him pump out those large scores and maintain for for a whole season. I think he's probably a better captain choice in that he's more likely to pump out that sort of, you know, 150, 160 score. Um, Kelly, to me, seems probably a better choice in the sense of more likely to play 22 games, I think. Um, obviously, we've seen Fife get suspended or injured in, would probably say, most of his seasons at this stage. So, it's really a line ball call. I think if I could only have one at this stage, I'd probably back in Fife. I think maybe just more potential to, to have those higher scores. Yeah, it's a bit of that risk and reward with Fife. So, if you're playing for overall, it's that big risk where he could average, you know, 120s to 130s and sort of get you off the mark. But also, if he's going to miss a game here and there, that sort of is really hurtful for the overall score. So, depending on how well he stays on the park, I think we all know he'll score well. In terms of premiums, I said I had four in my uh, team, Liam. Um, do you know who the other one is? I think out of the other major premiums, you got your Clayton Olivers, your Lockie Neals, who is a Brisbane boy, um, Coniglio's, Trelaws at the top. So I think it would most likely be one of your Olivers or Neals. Yeah, absolutely. You got it on the first one. It's Clayton Oliver. Um, I love the way he plays. He's like Michael Voss, Mark II, as far as I'm concerned. I was very disappointed we didn't draft him. But uh, yeah, he's just a fantastic player. He's had a few injury niggles this preseason apparently he's fully fit to go at the moment um he's been out of my side for most of the preseason recently worked his way in and yeah i think he's going to stay there i think he's got very high scoring potential are you concerned of the uh, double shoulder surgery he had at the end of last year it's not very good to have a shoulder surgery as a midfielder who needs to tackle and sort of get their hands in uh, shoulders down in the contest a lot the double shoulder surgery is not something you like to see yeah absolutely so that's why he was He's basically not been in my side until recently, uh, and that and that's why that double shoulder surgery, and then also some concerns about how he scores when Brayshaw and Viney are both in the team. But recently, been reading that he's got back to full fitness. He seems like he's moving pretty unhampered with those shoulders, and yeah, he's just got that elite potential. So you know, in terms of midfielders that actually have the potential to be the highest scoring one next season, I think he's one of the you know maybe six or seven names that you're going to list off. And at this stage, I've got him in the side. Looking at two players, obviously Fife and Neil, do you think Fife scores will improve or decrease with the loss of Neil? And similarly, Neil going to his new club, do you think he'll find it easier or harder to score? Yeah, it's an interesting one with Lockie Neil. Um, he's very dependable, so you can pretty much lock him in for 22 games. I think he's played, uh, I'm not really sure if something heavy, he's played 22 games in something ridiculous, like five out of the last six seasons or something. And, and I think when he didn't, it was 21 games. So he plays pretty much every week and uh, you can pretty much lock him in for 110 or so. Uh, I do remember looking at the stats when Fife was out, he tended to score better. So when he's the main man in the midfield, he tends to score better. Uh, I think that's the sort of role he's going to be taking at the Lions. So if anything, I think he's going to improve on his scores. Um, but that said, there is a little bit of a risk there, you know, in terms of how he's going to fit in and whether maybe it takes him, you know, four or five, six weeks to really hit his straps. Um, at this stage, he's out of my side. So I'm hoping he does take a little time to yeah, hit his straps there and we can get him a little bit cheaper before he starts to go nuts. Fife, I'm not really sure how he's going to go without Neil, um, and not only without Neil, but without Connor Blakely, who's gone down, was sort of primed for that inside role, so perhaps with no support there, I mean, he does enjoy being the main man, but that's one of the risks with that Fife this season. Speaking on the lack of midfielders there for Fremantle, that opens up a position for someone who might be a good insight for our draft teams. There's got to be someone in there getting the scores now that Blakely's not stepping in. Do you see younger players like your Brayshaws and Cheras being the ones to get the boost there or 
all the brigades like your heels coming back into a bit of form there for your draft scoring yeah it's an interesting one there's sort of talk about this and um people have heard throwing around the name michael walters sort of popped up every season as someone who's going to get more mid time and he has played through the middle quite a bit the last few seasons but in terms of selecting one for a draft league um adam chera is available up forward i think he's a good value pick in the later rounds there he's someone who's you know, anyone who's listed as a forward in Supercoach but is actually playing in the midfield, I think, is someone worth looking at. While we're on draft, do you think McRae is still the number one midfielder to choose this year? Number one midfielder? Yep. If you're taking a mid, is he still the number one on your list? I haven't got an official list yet, but I'm pretty certain he will not be the number one on mine. I think if I had the pick and I was going to take a midfielder at this stage, I would probably be looking to select Paddy Cripps. Huge call there. So McRae dead and done. Bury him. Is it is it the fact that you don't think he can maintain that huge jump in score? What, did he have like a 20-point bump from the year before? Or is it got to do with Liber coming back into the midfield, taking some points? Yeah, so Liber, Dunkley, um, there's a few names in there that I think can take some points off him. It, it's just a gut feeling. You know, it's sort of just watching the players play. When I watch Cripps play, I'm, I'm a bit more impressed than when I watch McRae play, and generally that tends to reflect itself in Supercoach scores over the long run. So from the eye test, really, I'm picking Paddy Cripps. Do you think that Cripps having a few extra of these midfielders in there to help him this year? You know, your big-bodied setter field, you got Walsh stepping in who might be able to get a few better touches to him. Do you think that will improve Cripps' scoring? I think it can improve his scoring, especially if it results in Carlton winning a few more games. I'm not really sure whether that will come to fruition, but if it does, I think we might see an increase in his scores. But mostly, I just think Cripps is primed for a huge season. You know, he looks fit. Um, he's he's young, still improving, and we all can see. You know, he's clearly got the talent. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. Um, all all the tools to be the number one supercoach midfielder. So not only do we have a lot of sort of premium options there, it's probably not like most years where you've got a, you know, must-have ABC. This year, I think there is a lot more to play around with those top-level stars to pick the ones you like. But we also have a lot of these so-called underpriced premiums. So people who have done it before, who have been 110 averages before, who are now sitting at a bit of a discounted price there. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Um, at one stage, I had my side built around just basically selecting these underpriced ones and hoping that they move up. Uh, it's not the sort of structure I've gone with at the moment, but I do think it could be a valid strategy this season. I think, you know, we've got four or five names for you here, and I think a lot of them are pretty good uh, pretty good choices. Yeah, we stuck another poll up on the uh, Twitter page to see who everyone liked out of these underpriced primos, and it seemed to be the Adelaide boys who got all the votes there. So you're Matt Crouch sitting at 540k this year, and also Rory Sloan. So they're people who have done the, the 110 plus before. In Matty Crouch's case, that was 2017, and Rory Sloan before last year was 105 plus for six straight seasons. Yeah, and they're not the only names who we have uh, on this list who've done the 110-ish or, or plus before. You've also got Zach Merritt, and he's still quite young, obviously 23 years old, also sitting at $540,000. And then Dane Zorko, he's a bit older, sitting there at 30 years old, but he looks in great shape, um, started his career a bit late, so potentially has a few more years left in him, actually just recently re-signed till 2021, and he's had two seasons of 109 and 110 before last season where his average dropped down, um, and then... I did crunch the numbers on this. If you take out his first six weeks from last year where he had a bit of an issue learning how to deal with the tag there, removing those first six weeks, he had an average of about 107 last season, which would also still put you in the contention for that um, top eight midfielders there. So one other option. And then also Taylor Adams, 
Um, he was in my side until he went down recently with an injury. Yeah, he was one you really liked. Obviously had over the last 16 games of last year a 110 average there. So somebody who looked like he'd moved back into the premium scoring, but that 10-week injury cancels him out for most regular teams, but still someone to look for in your drafts. Yeah, it's interesting where these players sort of go in your draft leagues where you're sort of just really worried about you know, winning finals, having the best side on grand final day. So how late do you let him slide? You know, obviously other people are going to be looking for him too. Do you take him early? Do you take him where you would have otherwise? Or how many rounds can you really afford to let him slip before someone else takes him? It's going to be a thing we find out pretty soon when we do our draft. I think something that um, you get from these players is watching sort of why they're down at where they are. A lot of the time is injury. So someone like Zach Merritt, he was down because he had a concussion in round one, scored barely not like anything in that first game. And then the next few games, he was also hampered before he was just back to his regular scoring. So someone like that, you would expect to get back to his highs, except for Zach Merritt's case, he's been injured in the preseason. And I saw him in that JLT game and he was not fit. He wasn't looking like himself and just really was, you know, getting chased down, tackled because he took too long and he just really wasn't up to speed. Yeah, that game was a bit worrying, I think, for all Zach Merritt owners or people who are looking to bring him into the side. Um, he was in my side before that game, and then he got booted because he just didn't look up to scratch. I'm sure that'll improve before the season, but with so many options at this similar price range, you know, oh, Zach Merritt looks bad, extra couple of thousand dollars or whatever, trade to Matt Crouch. So there's a lot of options there, and unless he's looking in stellar form, he's not really going to make my side at this point in time. So at the moment, you've got Matt Crouch sitting in your team as this underpriced premium, and I've got Rory Sloan. Do you have a bit of a argument for or against one or the other? Yeah, so Matt Crouch, I've just gone with him at the moment, um, and it's sort of just a youth question for me. So Rory Sloan's getting up there. He's 28 years old, and he's sort of got that, you know, I, when when, you, when I think of Rory Sloan, at least personally, I, I would have guessed he's a little bit older because he's been around for quite a while, and, you know, he's sort of in the in the trenches every week, and he's getting battered around and, and beaten up so when the end comes for those players it can come quickly not necessarily saying that'll come this season but with someone like Matt Crouch similar price um, who's quite young and looks to be still on the improve and could potentially go even higher um, tips the scale for me what's the sort of argument for Sloan? Uh, he's my favorite player that's not a secure <laughs> player is part of my argument but it's just that consistency that six straight seasons of that 105 plus he's 28 so he's not extremely old as we mentioned and I can see him getting back to those numbers I think Sloan is definitely a player you'd want in your team for overall rather than chasing your league wins because as we know gets tagged some weeks and gets that 70 to 80 but then when he doesn't get tagged he goes 150 which is sort of that ceiling that I don't really see Matt Crouch having at the moment he's somebody who gets 45 touches and then gets 100 on the dot because does a lot of those handballs so I'm not quite sure if he's got that jump left in him obviously if he can improve that ceiling then he'll be one of the top few players in the midfield as well yeah really interesting points there on both sides and two players we're obviously going to be watching quite closely with them in our team so we will just sum up for you and tell you our current uh, instructions in the midfield and who we've got sitting there you could probably piece it together if you wanted to but we'll just tell you currently in my midfield I've got Paddy Cripps, Clayton Oliver, I've got Fife, Kelly, and then on the next tier down, I've got Crouch. As a mid-pricer, I've got Liberatore, and then on the field as rookies, I've got Walsh and Constable. 
So yeah, pretty similar teams. I've got the Crips 5 Kelly combo as well. Uh, as we mentioned, Sloan is that um, sort of underpriced player, and I've got both Miles and Libba there as mid-prices with Walsh and yeah, your Gibbons, Constables, whoever's going to take that last spot on field. So sort of the difference is you've got that Oliver as that extra primo, and I'm running Miles as a mid-pricer there. But otherwise, pretty similar structures. Yeah, and I think from what I've been seeing, people who you know willing to share their teams online at this stage, a lot of them are running relatively similar structures. I've seen some unique ones here and there, but for the most part, a lot of people are running Crips, a lot of people are running Fife, Cali, uh, and then you know Merritt recently, um, obviously dropping out of a few teams there, but Merritt and Crouch, Sloan, etc. And then, as you said, Libra and Mars are pretty common throughout do, lots of teams. Do you think someone like Fife, if you are chasing overall, is someone that is better because he is in all of these teams to sort of avoid because if he misses a few games and that could get you really ahead of the pack or is he someone with his ceiling that you can't really afford to start without, do you think? It's interesting because, um, yeah, he's been in my side for that sort of reason. I've been looking at him. I've been looking at Lockie Neal, sort of noticing that, you know, Lockie Neal's going to play 22 games, could probably lock that in, five maybe not. So if you're going for overall score, maybe you're better off locking in Neal, especially because he's got that, you know, new move, new team, maybe he's going to score better. Um, and I have been trading that, that position five to Neil, Neil to five, five to Neil, back and forth for that reason. Um, I think it's something you have to take into account, especially if you want to be a bit new, unique in the middle. As we mentioned, a lot of teams are quite similar. So, yeah, looking at the ownership, sorting by ownership and maybe jumping off someone who's quite popular and hoping that they have a down season is is a valid strategy. And I think something else people should note is that to win overall, you don't need to get every sort of high-risk, high-reward player. A lot of the people who win have a few of those sort of risky options, and then a lot of these consistent scorers who you know are going to put out what you want them to put out because you can still win overall if you pick, say, five. He goes down in round one with a suspension or an injury. You can side-trade him, and you haven't lost your whole season off that. But if you've got three, four, five of these players and they don't all take, which they never seem to all come off at once, that's when you're in a bit of a risk of your season finishing before it starts. Yeah, really valid point there, Liam. You do need sort of those dependable players in your team if you're going for that overall. That said, it is always nice to have a unique uh, pick here or there. So we have been scouring team boards, going to matches, reading match reports, etc. to f- try and find out how everyone at different clubs is doing. Uh, last week, we gave you the first nine clubs, and this week, we'll run through the latter nine in alphabetical order, starting with Hawthorne. Yeah, Hawthorne's a very interesting one to read all the boards, obviously, because there was Mitchell's injury. He was locked into my team and probably most teams before he got injured, so now there's sort of spots opening up in that midfield with people originally thought go to James Warple, who was a very intriguing prospect up forward at 395k, but um seems like maybe there's a few other people like Yakusens and a few other of these younger players who might take a few of those midfield minutes as well. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to watch the JLT game this weekend, Hawthorne playing against the Lions, and they've named pretty much their reserve side, um, and I'm guessing the reason for that is they have a few spots left in the 22 that they're trying to lock in and they want to see as many of these players as they can so that'll be a very interesting game to watch um one name we thought might be getting a bit more midfield time was chad wingard although recently it's come out that he may not be fit for round one so if he is in your teams that's something to note yeah everyone is saying that sometimes these injuries that they're pulling out of aflx for a calf issue and they're saying oh it's just because aflx no wingard's actually having a lot of trouble with his top soft tissues so he doesn't look like he'll be there round one and uh, i'd cross him off for all regular teams but still someone to keep in mind for your drafts another name from hawthorne that may not be necessarily getting time in the midfield per se but uh jarman impey he looks like he's been 
tearing up the track uh, at their trainings. He's currently listed as a Ford, $370,000, although he did only average 68 last year. So what do you think of MP Liam? Uh, I think he's just generally one of those players who rips up the preseason and always seems to be, oh, it's his time, but not so super coach relevant at the moment. Just someone to keep in mind that he's having a good preseason, maybe a waiver pickup later in your drafts if he does start the season on fire. I think the only other name from Hawthorne that we'll touch on is Birchall still really having an injury-ravaged uh, end of his career. Won't be back for round one, so cross him off for any calculations, I think, at this stage. Next team off the list is the Melbourne Demons, and there's obvious ones to talk about here. You've got Gorn and Pruce in the ruck. Uh, a lot of people have Gorn in their teams. A lot of people have him missing out because of the potential that he's sharing the ruck role. Um, we saw Pruce play up forward against the Pies in a practice match and, and do pretty well. He kicked a few goals up there, and we saw Gorn dominate the Pies rucks missing Grundy, so can't really take too much from that, I don't think. Yeah, it's interesting. Are you more likely to pick Gorn because Proust played well up forward because maybe he'll play more forward, or do you think it's that Proust is playing well up forward, they're both going to be in the same team, and that's bad news for scoring for Gorn? Yeah, it could go either way. So my take on it was that I think it's good to see Proust doing well up forward because I think that's what the Demons want to see. If Proust can do well up forward... Um, then they're going to have him as the forward and they're going to have Gorn sort of dropping back and trying to take those marks in the defensive 50 as opposed to playing Gorn up forward a bit more and trying to see him, whether he can you know get those kicking boots on and finally kick some goals. But yeah, on the other hand, Liam, you were saying that it's sort of maybe might be bad to see Proust doing well up forward because he might get some games. Yeah, I, I didn't like it at all when I saw him playing well. All I could think of was they're going to play in the same team and we know that when two Ruckman, you know, Proust isn't a forward. He can play forward, but he's a Ruckman. When two Ruckman play in the same team, scores just drop a little bit. And Gorn's a high price tag. I just can't see myself forking out for him, even though he is becoming a bit of a point of difference, which is quite interesting in itself. Yeah, and word from Melbourne training track is that Gorn is actually looking in really good shape, which only sort of confounds the problem further because, you know, he looks prime for a big year if he's playing as the number one Ruck few other names that we see playing well is we see Fritsch who's been training a lot on the wing, running really good times, and Petraka's looking noticeably lighter on his frame, as with uh, Alex Neil Bullen, who's doing really well on the track there. Do any of those names sort of take your fancy from a Supercoach draft perspective? Yeah, Neil Bullen's gone the permanent do not draft <laughs> list for me because I thought he was he was primed last season. But uh, yeah, Petraka's an interesting one. I think he's going to put it all together sometime soon. May not be this season, but... Yeah, I think he's definitely one. If you're looking at a keeper league, then I would have looked to get Petrarca in quite a while ago. But um, he could he could break out this season. You know, I think he's going to do it at some point, and when he does, he's going to be a very good super coach player. Um, Bailey Fritch does interest me, though. Maybe not in regular, but in the draft leagues, he's a very tantalizing prospect. Um, he's very talented, and I think he's one that's going to continue to improve. Move on to North Melbourne now, and there's obviously, we've seen uh, Majak Dor being on the sidelines after his issues, but we're seeing a lot of these other sort of defensive options having to step in. We know Tarrant's still injured as well. I think Scott Thompson might be suspended for round one. So you've got players like McKay, who's coming into calculations as a uh, defensive option as at the rookie price there. Yeah, McKay's an interesting one. He should get games early. Um, he's currently sitting on my bench as a a rookie option there. Um, I'm not too sure how well he'll score, but I think he's going to get consistent games early in the season, which is sort of what you want from your bench rookie. So um, should make a little bit of money there. Obviously, his brother Harry's doing pretty well over at Carlton, and Ben has slightly better VFL form than Harry did. So um, yeah, he's definitely a prospect there down back. Uh, they've also got Declan Watson, who played up Ford in a recent practice match. Our intra club did quite well, kicked a few goals, and then I think recently just got injured. 
I believe. So he looked to be a, a potential pick down back, but maybe just double check on the injury front. Got some new players who are burning up the track a bit. Dom Tyson, there's been a lot of uh, plaudits for him for his uh, ball-wheeling ability. And we also see Aaron Hall using his pace a lot at the club, and they're really excited for his prospects. Yeah, Aaron Hall's potentially uh, one that we missed over in the mid-prices talk there in the middle. I think he's around that $350,000 mark. Um, We know that he can play some pretty good footy, so... He'll probably be starting round one, I imagine, in that north side. Yeah, he was playing really good footy off half-back for those last few games for Gold Coast. He was racking up. I think one of the games he got injured and he was on like 60 a quarter time or something crazy. So I'm interested to see where he plays in JLT and uh, sort of if he's still getting that level of ball in a bit of a stronger team there at North Melbourne. And another mid-pricer in the middle is Paul Ahern. Um, where it is that he's shed a bit of weight there. He's sitting at $375,000 and we know that he can rack up the ball. Yeah, maybe one to just keep an eye on. Soul mid doesn't really sell me for sort of any format at this stage, but someone to keep an eye on if he is, uh, you know, looking a bit lighter and potentially might be able to get a bit more time in the middle this year. We'll keep it rolling and move on to Port Adelaide. And I guess the big news out of there, it's a bit old news now, but it's still relevant, is Ollie Wines is not going to be playing in the early rounds there. Um, he's had a bit of a water skiing accident and done something to his shoulder, I believe. Yeah, he's a very interesting one now, Ollie Wines, for your drafts because a lot of people were sort of keeping him open as an option for maybe going up a bit this year, taking on more responsibility in the middle, but now he's going to miss the first few rounds. So where he goes in drafts is very interesting. Probably depends on how strong your league is and if you think you're getting a strong sort of midfield and can stash him away on the bench for the first few rounds because I think when he comes back in, probably can still score well this year. Um, perhaps related to that early Wines news, but word out of port as recently as yesterday was that Robbie Gray is going to be playing probably a bit more midfield than he has in the past uh, couple of seasons. He's kicked 80 or 90 goals over the past two seasons. Obviously, he's spent a fair bit of time up forward, and yeah, word is that he might be needed a bit more in the middle. Would make him very relevant in all formats, but I'm just not sure how much I believe it yet until I see it sort of in practice, and he always scares me because he is the sort of player who can be thrown back forward and then score your 60s to 70s while still playing a good game, so Again, probably depends sort of what you're after in your players. And if you're just after a high averaging player who might go through stretches of form, win you a few draft games, he might be a really good option. Um, but yeah, his, his basement sort of option isn't that low. He's not someone who's going to come out and average 60 for the year. So someone to keep an eye on, I think. Speaking of players who are a bit scary sometimes, um, Hamish Hartlett has burned a few of us in the past. I know that. Um, he's back from injury. He's available as a defender, which sort of adds a bit of a prospect there, although I'm not really sure that I'm going to be picking him in any format. I sort of like him. I sort of like him for like a little late draft defender look-in because I use training back with the midfield group. Might see a bit of a change around with players in and out of that midfield, and if he can come back and push up the ground a bit more as a defender... I don't mind it, but as you said, he's burnt me before, I think, in some of these formats. So very interesting player, uh, JLT watch for me, see where he's playing. Yeah, we sort of mentioned it before with the forwards, but anyone who's really playing in the middle but is available on another line is someone that you should probably be having a look at. Move on to the uh, Richmond Tigers now. Sort of a bit quiet there from the Tigers camp, but the big names are like Tom Lynch coming in, who's apparently working way back from his knee injury and looking for round one. But from the word I'm hearing, he might miss the not only round one, but a few games after that as well. Yeah, there's a few draft sort of rumblings coming out of the Tigers. A lot of their supporters talking up Noah Bolter, who potentially gets a few games there here and there. Um, as a forward and chopping out ruck minutes so if they decide they need someone to help out Nankervis in that respect and then a lot of them talking up Riley Collier Dawkins who we liked from the last draft class although word was that he needs to work on his tank a little bit 
Um, I think it's mostly just Tiger supporters online sort of talking up their, their kids. I'm not really sure whether they're going to be relevant in either format. Yeah, on Collier Dawkins is one I really like from the draft, but talking to some Richmond supporters who have been watching their sort of intra-club matches and those sort of things, saying that his kicking really isn't up to the standard yet. He's one of those players who shows the flashes of brilliance but probably hasn't pulled it all together. Um, yeah, I just think Tom Lynch is a very interesting one for drafts at 340k up forward, really cheaper price, might even go overlooked or close to undrafted depending on how deep your league is. Someone to keep in mind when you're getting towards your late forward and uh, bench spots, I'd think. As we just mentioned, anyone who's sort of available in the forward line or defensive lines who's going to be playing midfield is someone you should probably look at. Um, word out of the Tigers is that Brandon Ellis has been training more in the midfield than he has in previous seasons. He's available as a $377,000 defender, so if you're looking for a mid-pricer in regular, he's maybe worth an option. And then in the draft leagues, I think, as mentioned, depending on how deep your league goes, he's, he's someone that you could take late and get some good value out of. Yeah, if he's playing up on the wing, I'll look for him in draft, definitely, but it's another JLT watch for me. You can train with the midfield as much as you like, but if you're not playing there, you're not going to get your super coach points. So definitely Brandon Ellis is one to keep an eye on. He has averaged 100 in the past, so he's got form. Next club on the list is your Saints, Liam, and recently it's been not the best news on the injury front. So we've got Carlisle, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but out for quite a lengthy stretch there, four or five months potentially. Um, there's Dan Hanabry, who's probably unavailable for round one, and recently we've seen Jack Stevens step away for a bit of time uh, due to mental health reasons. Yeah, not really the most fun time down at the Saints. You're coming into a new year, you're meant to be up and about, thinking about how good your team is. But I guess from a super coach perspective that we've got a few of these players out, that means there's a few other players who can start to look at. So if you're looking for a really cheap uh, sort of rookie price defensive option, Josh Battle has been training down back. Looked really good in the club's intra-club match, taking a bunch of intercept marks. So potentially if Carlisle is out for most of the year, he might be someone that they'll look to play at that centre-half back position and sort of grow him so potentially you've got a rookie option stepping up there you've also got hunter clark who looks like he's stepping into the midfield was best on in the intra club and someone who you could look at for maybe stepping into some of those midfield minutes that hanabry might leave if he's not in the side earlier in the year there's a few options uh, up forward for the saints around that four hundred thousand dollar price i've seen in quite a few teams i know one of them sitting in your team right now liam you've got jack billings sitting there um who's previously averaged about 92 currently sitting at 80 or so priced average and then you've got Jay Gresham who uh, is on the improve obviously very talented player and I've seen him in a few teams uh, in both formats yeah both players I really like both apparently moving up to mostly mid uh, field time this year so apparently both of them have stepped up training with the midfield group will be played up as outside to inside midfielders and uh, pushing forward rather than the other way like they have in the past so that should mean points um, but it really depends on which one is really getting most of the ball in the midfield. Gresham, one of our better clearance players per percentage of center bounces and stoppages attended last year, which is quite interesting. So he might sort of roll through the center bounces, whereas I see Billings playing a lot of that time up on the wing and outside of the ball. So of the two, I think Billings is a safer bet for sure. Um, but yeah, both very intriguing options, especially for draft. And there's a few more rookie options there as well. Uh, we've mentioned them before, but in quite a few regular teams, you've got Nick Hind and then Matty Parker is in a lot of teams up forward. Uh, I've also seen relatively high ownership for Callum Wilkie down back. He's sitting at about 10% ownership, actually. 
Yeah, uh, all these players listed in our JLT uh, team for round one, uh, which is very interesting. I think Matty Park is going to be a jet. He's just so exciting. Kicked a couple of goals, a few chase down tackles, lots of touches and marks in our intra club. So I really expect him to play round one and I expect him to be in most Supercoach teams. Moving on to Sydney Swans, and it seems we talk about the same thing every single year. It's uh, Heaney and Mills. <laughs> Both moving into the midfield as per every year. I can't see Heaney not being, you know, top two or three forwards this year. I think he's got to be a lock in everyone's starting forward line. Would you agree? Yeah, he's one of the players. It's been sitting on my forward line um, pretty much the entire since I made, you know, my first draft of the team, obviously Lockie and Dangerfield, and then I believe I locked in Heaney and Dunkley. So I obviously, again, like those players who are listed in the forward line and going to be playing in the middle. Um, even if Heaney doesn't play in the middle per se, we know he's going to get midfield time and probably average around about that 95 to 100. Uh, Callum Mills, there's a bit more conjecture about whether he will play there. Um, Mixed signals coming out of Sydney. First, they say, you know, oh, he's going to be playing more midfield. And then they say, oh, but he's so good down back. So, you know, who knows what will happen with him. And they sort of don't really tell us what they're going to do until they do it. Um, but word is that he has been playing a bit more midfield. He played that inter-club game against the Giants and played a bit more midfield. So he's one to look out for. Um, he's listed as a defender. He's the sort of player who I expect Mills to go way above sort of his average in your drafts. He's sort of one of those people who's always talked about in the preseason. He's had a lot of media attention this preseason. I expect a lot of people to look at him early in drafts as somebody who can break out this year. Somebody who was sort of looking to break out was Naismith, who's now injured for the first six or eight weeks of the season. Does this change your opinion on uh, Callum Sinclair's supercoach viability? Yeah, Calvin Sinclair's an interesting one. I don't think you'd be too disappointed if you end up with him in draft. You know, he pumps out pretty decent scores. Um, in terms of regular supercoach, don't think he's that relevant per se. Snae Smith injury opens up a lot of interesting options with your R2, which we might get into next week. But sort of a lot of these mid-priced Ruckman aren't really seeming as viable as what we thought they were probably two, three weeks ago. Yeah, it's always tough to tell with the rucks. Um, we'll have a whole podcast dedicated just to that position because it's an incredibly important one. Um, moving on, we'll head over to the other side of town and we'll visit the West Coast. Um, as we mentioned last night, there was Dom Sheed tearing it up and they've got a few other players. Shui played pretty limited minutes, so if you did see his scores, there, don't be too worried. He was only on the ground for 30 40% of the game. Um, they have other relevant players in, in multiple formats. You've got McGovern and you've got Kennedy up forward is one that's quite interesting. Um, he's priced pretty low in... Uh, I think, what, 250000 or even less than that. So for regular Supercoach, um, I've seen him in a few lineups. Yeah, Shuey, McGovern and Kennedy are three that have been on restricted pre-seasons having some injuries. So as you said, Shuey only played a part of that uh, JLT the other night. So they're players that if you're interested in them for starting in your teams, I'd watch them very closely in JLT to see how likely they are to be at full strength come the start of the season. Uh, forward line is a very interesting one for West Coast. Obviously, you've got Lacroix coming out. Cripps is injured at the moment, so you need some players to step up. You've got Rioli, who's looking a lot slimmer once again, so maybe he can take another step in his development. And Petricelli, who is a uh, draftee, uh, the draft before last, real speedster and looks like he might get some games, potentially a bench option for you. Yeah, Rioli is an interesting one to me. Um, I'm not really sure how relevant he is in Supercoach terms. I think in draft, he might be worth a look in, though. So one of the things that uh, I had pointed out to me by someone who supports the West Coast was if you go back and you look at the 
grand final. It's obviously worth a watch that last quarter. You know, you can see the Pies lose again and again. <laughs> but when Dom Sheed kicks that goal, the ball goes to the center of the ground and there's obviously a super important clearance. So one of the things that, one of the structural changes that happens with West Coast is they send Rioli to the middle. So they obviously rate his chances of winning that clearance. Um, they think he can be very influential in the middle of the ground. The only issue there is obviously how well he's done over this preseason in building up his tank. Yeah, it's very interesting that last year, not even in the grand final throughout the season, they threw Willie into those center bounce clearances. Somebody who's, it's been well documented that he came into the league dropping a lot of weight, but still was a bit overweight from what he should have been. So his tank wasn't there and they still love to have him in those center bounces every now and again. So obviously a position they want to have him in up in the middle a little bit more. So watching his JLT form and whether he's spending more time in the midfield might really get an insight into how relevant he is for your draft leagues. So from the next team, obviously the last team on the list is the Western Bulldogs. Um, speaking of people who might be playing in the middle, I'm pretty confident he will be. We've been talking about this over the past few days. It's Josh Dunkley. Um, we all know that if he does play in the middle, he can average that you know, 105, 110. Um, he's an absolute freak in only, what, his third or fourth season. He's already in that sort of elite category, at least in supercoach terms. But, yeah, there's a bit of talk about whether he'll stay in the middle of the ground or whether he'll move back on the half-forward flank because they're, obviously they've got Liberatore returning. Yeah, it just it scares me. Like he is either going to play full midfield and keep on whatever his average was, stupid average at the second half of the year, one twenty or something. As a forward, would be fantastic if he's playing in there the whole time. But as we saw in the first half, if he's playing up forward, he's averaging you know your seventies or so. So I don't know if I can roll the dice on a player like that. But if he is playing midfield. You can't go without him. So how do you know? Do you just watch the JLT form? Do you just go on gut feel? How do you pick someone like this? Yeah, so at the moment, I'm obviously, we haven't seen the JLT form for the dogs or, or where he's going to be playing, but gut feel, I think he's going to be playing in the middle. Um, he might get some time up for, but I think they have other options. Toby McLean, I think, sort of shifts to the half-forward flank. He's, a, um, I would say, a bit worse midfielder than Dunkley and a bit better up forward, in my opinion. So I, I would see that as an easy switch. Uh, and then I, I suspect Bontempelli might be playing a bit more time up forward as well. He's obviously got that that reach. He's a good contested mark. Um, he knows his way around the goals. So I think we might see a little more of McLean and Bontempelli up forward. And I think Dunkley's going to make that mid spot his own. Yeah, coming out of their sort of intra clubs and their training, it seems like you got a big swing with your Bont, your McLean, and your Dunkley sort of swinging between the forward line and the midfield. So I don't know if that's good because you expect these players to get some mid time or bad because they're going to be spending some forward time. So I guess it's just a matter of degrees. And if you see someone like Dunkley through natural progression sort of increasing anyway, then maybe that's something that you can take a few lower scores if you think his ceiling is really high in the middle. Um, we spoke about the mid-priced rucks and obviously the temptation to spare the cash on Max Gorn and, and Brody Grundy there and one of the names that obviously comes up when you're having that discussion is Tim English um, he's an interesting one he's not necessarily your traditional ruckman yeah apparently he's put on weight over the preseason up over 100 kilograms now and with a lot of their um, either injuries to players or sending players out last trade period he's the ruckman now Tom Boyd going to miss the first you know few months of the season so he's not an option there anymore it really is just going to be English from day dot so if you think he's the sort of new style Ruckman who can get around the ground and get some points at 300 odd thousand dollars he could be a good option this year. So in terms of competition there you've got uh, Jackson Tringrove who's played through the Ruck a little bit Um, there is talk that maybe he'll be playing down back Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do there obviously um, Tim English has got the height 
and reach, jump, etc. Over Trengrove, he's more you're um, more likely to win those taps, and he does offer a lot around the ground. Um, I've even heard he's been training a little bit on the wing. Um, they rate his disposal incredibly highly. Um, he was a midfielder in the juniors before he just shot up in height, and yeah, they rank they reckon his disposal is one of the better, uh, you know, even kicks at the club. Closing out the dogs, we've got Libba looking extremely fit. I've heard people saying it's the fittest he's ever looked for a season, which makes him tantalizing as that mid-price option. Uh, have you seen his tats? Yeah, um, he's worth selecting your side just for the tats alone. If you haven't seen it, he's got the, uh, <laughs> the my God, your greasy uh, freeze frame from The Simpsons with Homer getting up in that pimply-faced teen's <laughs> face. Um, he's got one... One of them on the right arm and one of them on the left arm. Um, it's it's a fantastic tattoo. One of the best, probably the best one I've seen in the league. Yeah, um, in terms of just like comedic factor, um, it's quintessential Libba. And yeah, just look it up. And once you see the photo, if you don't want him in your team, then he's never going to make the cut. Really, one of those things where I didn't think of. But as soon as you see those two, they better not have to be next to each other. You see either of these faces, and all you can think of is, "My God, you're greasy." Yeah, just perfect. Just works so well for Libba um, and all that we know about him. So, yeah, fingers crossed we can see the, the Homer and the Pimply Face Kid uh, Yeah, as he fires out some handballs from the middle of the ground this season. All right, that pretty much closes out all of our Around the Grounds. As we said before, we'll be back next week and do a bit of the forward line and the rucks, um, get a bit more analysis there. And then as we get closer to the season, we might drop a few pods looking at uh, a few sort of take-home notes before the season for your overall team structures, your draft sort of strategies and those sort of things coming into the future. Yeah, we'll be having our own league draft. Um, we take it pretty serious and we'll be having that relatively soon, maybe halfway through the JLT Um so we have a bit of exposed form there. Um, we're both obviously pretty excited for that. We're building our lists up now. And once we have that draft, we'll let you guys know how it go, uh, rate our teams and, and yeah, just discuss what we think our chances are for this season. 